Welcome to Worker Movement, a podcast dedicated to the working class, a podcast dedicated to raising class consciousness. This podcast is for you, for us, for the worker. Drug companies have been hard at work attempting to engineer a vaccine, but the entire vaccine pursuit isn't just a biomedical quest for scientists in lab coats with goggles. It will require multiple disciplines to work together. Even if a perfect, 100% effective vaccine were to exist, there's still the challenge of distribution. The 2020 census was initially mailed on March 12, 2020, and the final in-person interviews were conducted on October 15, 2020. That's roughly an eight-month period just to count the number of people in the United States at a cost of roughly $15.6 billion. Should we realistically expect profit-driven corporations to do a more efficient job than the centrally planned census? But that seems to be the plan so far, and unfortunately, the answer is no. We're going to focus primarily right now on why centralized planning would have solved this issue. And it comes down to just a basic engineering principle, which is you can have three different buckets for product development, quality, speed, and cost. But in engineering, we know that you only get to choose two. So what does this mean? It means that you can have something that's good and fast, that you got it as quick as you could and high quality, but it's going to cost you a lot of money to get there. The other way you can think about this, you can get it fast and you can get it super cheap, but it's going to be gross and sort of ineffective and a shitty product. Or you can have it good good quality product and you can get it relatively cheap, but it's going to take you a very long time to get there because you have to work out all the bugs and all the manufacturing. So that's basically engineering principle. So how does this apply to something like a freezer uh, and the idea behind why you should have a single manufacturer behind this? So we want to make sure that the vaccine is of high quality and it's readily available quickly. And that sort of leaves out being inexpensive as the third uh, concept here. And there's really no reason why we need to care about the cost of the vaccine. Uh, in terms of all the inputs into creating a vaccine, it's labor and resource and materials. But if we look at this from the governmental funding perspective, the government can literally conjure money out of thin air for corporations. So why can't we conjure money out of thin air for societal benefits like vaccines? Uh, we also have the Defense Production Act, which would allow us to invoke private industry to produce something like a vaccine. Right. And so that comes back to the principles of, you know, in engineering of quality, speed, and cost, right? We want the vaccine as fast as we can get it, right? We want it as high quality as we can get it. And we don't care about the cost. But it also means that when we do that, when we go fast and we try to get, you know, a high quality thing out there, we skip a lot of steps because that's how you get there fast. You throw a bunch of money at it, you skip a bunch of steps, and you get the product. So in the end, we end up with something like the Pfizer vaccine, which is something that needs cold store. I mean, all the vaccines need storage, but now we have a cold store. So what happens when we talk about what the Pfizer vaccine is with a negative 70 degree C um, storage, right? You know, this is the high quality, right? It's 90% effective, fine. But if it needs a high quality freezer, then that means that that, that freezer has to be also designed right now to be able to handle that negative 70, which means we're back in the same spot. We have to choose between a good uh, good and fast, good and cheap, whatever you want to say, that the combinations. But if we want to choose a uh, readily available freezer, it's on the market ready to go, it has to be good enough to manufacture and it has to be high quality enough to actually um, store the vaccines and not fail, right? It has to be readily available, which means it's not going to be cheap, right? 
So that means if we have high quality, this means that we have to be able to not only store it minus 70, but it has to be able to maintain that minus 70. And it has to be able to withstand power outages and other stuff, which means it's got to have high insulations, high power banking, all types of things that go along with trying to maintain, let's say, a three-day power outage. The other part is to manufacture it fast. You already have to have the manufacturer designed. It's, it has to be in place. You have to be, already have to be manufacturing it, which means it's no longer a... Um, off the shelf part. I mean, it might have commodity parts inside of it, but it already has to be like designed and ready to go. But it's a low temperature freezer. They're not really sitting around. They're not mass producing low temperature freezers right now, is what you're saying. What I'm saying is you can't go to uh, Home Depot or Best Buy or wherever the big box store is that you have to go buy stuff from and buy a minus 70 degree blast chiller. They don't, they don't exist. I mean, they do, but it's in the medical, not with all the bells and whistles too that you need on them. So an existing uh, laboratory-grade freezer that supports the negative 70 Celsius requirement are sparsely produced. They're used probably only by large medical labs. They are not uh, readily available and accessible to the general public. There's probably few manufacturing entities in existence that make them. Are tooled, have buildings, have co-located parts, uh, have trained workers. Uh, that are able to produce these, uh, they probably do it in batches. So they'll make a hundred freezers at a time and then they kind of sit on production until people buy those freezers. They're not probably set up for just-in-time manufacturing. And even if they are set up for just-in-time where they're just getting bulk parts in, I mean, it's sheet metal. You have to bend sheet metal, right? It's it, These are not fast processes. You got to coat them. You have to sterilize them. You have to seal them together. There's glue. So even if they did just in time, I mean, it, they're almost like made to order, right? Because they're only going to hit volumes that they can sell. And then all of a sudden you've asked for a quadrupling or 10 times as many freezers to come out the door. Like there's no way to scale that. Like they don't, they can't just scale production overnight, even if they're doing batch, even if they had all materials readily available, there's no way to just buy capital off the street and get three additional, you know, metal benders. There's just, you can't do that. As part of supporting the Pfizer vaccine, there's a whole bunch of engineering problems that need to be solved. And one of them is making enough freezers to support the vaccine. We're starting to see individual counties in the United States begin basically hoarding freezers. Uh, so two examples we have that were in the news recently, where we have Oakland County in Michigan and Macomb County in Michigan uh, bought 10 units at a cost of roughly $14,000 each. They're apparently going to use the CARES Act funding. And then Macomb County bought two freezers at a cost of $10,000 each, and they were going to use the federal funding. Uh, it's kind of interesting that they cost a different amount per county, which probably means they're buying different units. Different units, different vendors, yep. Or they're getting a different deal, or they're... Or like there's just a whole number of things that could explain why they're different instead of having the like there be a one stop shop to say I'm a county and I want to buy a freezer. This is what it costs. The counties are having to go out and negotiate their own freezers. And this this comes down to um, counties that have been hit hard by COVID. Right. We know that these two or three. I think there's there's also Wayne in Michigan. Those three have been hit the hardest predicting the future, knowing that they're the ones that are going to need the vaccinations. And you mentioned hoarding, and that's absolutely right. They need to go out ahead of time and make sure that they have freezers available because they can't rely on centralized government to deliver the goods to them. They're all, it's like every man for themselves at this point in time. 
And, and this is the precedent that will set down. And this is the precedent. This is why we're advocating for centralized planning. It's because you cannot have individual counties fighting each other for resources. Because that's just not the, it's not sustainable. Yeah, and you saw the problems that cropped up early on with COVID, where you had counties literally kind of bidding against each other for masks and ventilators and and whatever other medical device equipment uh, states needed, they were competing against each other. So now you have individual counties that are kind of trying to preempt uh, this competition by just hoarding stuff. And it really raises the question of why on earth are individual counties in the United States buying freezers? There's no reason for this. And and why is one county, if you just take a look at the numbers, they're, they're relatively the same size counties. You know, I think one's like a little over a million, the other one's a little less than a million, I think, which means that there's really no reason for one county that's a little bit over a million to have eight more freezers and something's a little under a million. I mean, it, it's, it seems even then that resource planning allocation from their point of view is also, you know, skewed a little bit here. And, and maybe one county is richer than the other. They, it, it's a very sort of weird, you know, scenario right now that we have with these two counties. We said this earlier trying to buy into a vaccine that may not actually be the final form of the vaccine. And this comes with the idea that we want fast and we don't care about what it costs because we just want to solve the problem without actually solving the problem. So you have these two counties and they bought different units for different prices. And we don't really know what their calculus is for why they're doing one thing or another. It could be completely random. It could be because Oakland County spent a bunch of money and said, Hey, we, we've done research and we need 10 units because we can do this, this, or that. Like we, we don't really know. And that's kind of part of the problem. Each County is having to make it up as they go, which is inefficient. It's terrifying. <laughs> Quite honestly. And if there were central planning, you would have some centralized entity that would say, look, you're a County of a million people. This is the 300 page PDF that tells you what your plan should be for Vaccine distribution. Yep. Uh, currently, we have a Pfizer vaccine that requires some high level of refrigeration. This is your plan for this. You're going to need XYZ number of units, and you can buy these from us. So just when the time comes, we'll distribute them to you. Okay, got that? Good. Thanks. Great. It's not even buying them, right? Like The, Care Act, the CARES Act is already a government program. So so why would they do take an unplanned diversion from what the CARES Act was? Like. Like, it doesn't make any sense for the federal government to say, you know, we're going to use X amount of money for these freezers. I mean, it, it's it's mind-boggling to me. And, and part of it is is that we have spent so much time, and by we I mean the Republicans and the new liberal Democrats, trying to outsource every government function to some bullshit for-profit. And at the end of the day, the for-profits are only really there to make money, and they're not going to focus on things like emergency preparedness unless there's profit to them. So you can take a look at Katrina. You know, they, they had those, they couldn't even get single wide trailers down there for people to live in, right? And when they did, they used, I think, imported drywall that was toxic because nobody did a sourcing analysis because only people that are good at sourcing are people in the private sector because we've gutted the federal government of anybody that's actually competent in anything they do. And again, that, that's all that neoliberal nonsense about, oh, the, the you know, private industry and the capitalists will really make things streamlined and that's all bullshit and we know it and it's again, showing its, itself as being weak during every emergency that we've ever had. So your point about the CARES Act, where this is already government money. So literally every county is saying, hey, we get money from the government to buy freezers. And it's just like this slush fund of like moving money around from 
oh, the government's giving us money and we're going to turn around and buy something. Yeah. Instead of saying like the government bought something in, in the sense of they bought a shitload of freezers and now this county of this size based on some density table, how many people are going to need a freezer? You need seven units of freezer. So here is your freezer that we've already paid for. Like it doesn't need to be like delegated to the county level to make that assessment as to how many they need. Absolutely not. It's already done. I mean, it's 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 not that hard. You already have a model of it, right? How many vaccines do you need per county, or per whatever regional you want to do that? You want to break each state into four quadrants. Break into the four quadrants. It doesn't really matter. You want to seize every military base in the United States and and make them the depot. Who cares? Fuck. You want to seize every Home Depot. Seize it. Put freezers. Make them pay for the power. It doesn't matter at this point in time because the problem needs to be solved. And we keep finding these ways to just kick the can down the road until we have counties that are going to preemptively buy stuff. Now, what's going to happen is I'm guessing Oakland County decided to buy highest bidder to get 14 k instead of low bidder. And they're jumping on it now to try to get such a big deal that they're not going to get screwed over by somebody else. And that means that another county in the United States is not going to have any vaccines. Absolutely. Or storing vaccines. They can get them, but they're going to be all dead and not useless. And then so this this entire premise of looking at each county hoarding freezers to distribute vaccines, we've raised a couple issues with it, but perhaps the biggest issue is why does the distribution of a vaccine need to be distributed to counties? Why not have like one central storage facility in some geographic area and you just make a giant warehouse of vaccines. Maybe there's one in the, to use the Michigan kind of geography, there's one in the metropolitan area of Detroit, and it doesn't matter what county it's in. The federal government just says, hey, we have an armory somewhere in Detroit, and we just cleared it out and put freezers everywhere. So that's where all of our vaccines are. Exactly. And, and there's, it's, there's probably already infrastructure sitting around for high power. And your point earlier, you know, to pump down and cool a minus 70 degree C using conventional, you know, I guess, um, refrigeration cycle is not cheap because you have to probably tool, dual stage it or you have to use a refrigerant that's probably pretty volatile at, you know, room temperature. You have to um, get the heat exchange out because you still have to dump that power out of there. It's probably super inefficient. So you're looking at high watts, 220 volt, 480, whatever it needs to be to, to turn these things on. And the only people that can probably handle this are manufacturing sites, probably some regional hospitals, and potentially any type of large, you know, um, you know, military base in which they have some sort of large generators or whatever. I mean, I mean, again, talking as an engineering scale, going down to minus 70, even though it's not impossible, it is, it is full of challenges. Sustain minus 70. It's not as simple as just going to the fire department, putting the pallet on the, the driveway, and then getting a CO2 fire extinguisher and being like, eh, it's pretty cold. Well, you know, maybe we tip our hands too much in the show with how much knowledge we have on just random stuff. But, you know, it, it you have to have an SOP or standard operating procedure in place to even open that freezer and get them out. So are you going to go every hour? And then how long is the shelf life? So then do you have to do 20 pokes within an hour to make sure you don't nothing goes bad is it one of those things where you have like two stages in the freezer so you can pull something out the stage and then pull them out later on i mean there's a lot here with just how to manage it you know do you lock it at nighttime you know like 
Does it need like, to be secured? Just Does secured it... so no one's robbing everybody of COVID-19, you know, vaccines out of fear and panic. I, I mean, it's all fear-driven, right? So who knows? Let's shift gears a little bit. You know, we could talk about manufacturing all day or engineering side, but let's talk about supply chain or actually just the production of it. So we have two competing vaccines. One's Moderna and one's Pfizer. And they're competing for basically your money in the government handout. That's that's what they're competing for. They're not competing to save you. They're competing to get the best contract possible. So, so far, we've seen two press releases. And what do they tell us? Read the tea leaves there. Uh, well, both, I think, are pretty heavily hedging as to what efficacy their vaccine is actually going to provide. Uh, Moderna, which announced theirs a couple days after Pfizer, is basically saying that theirs is 94.5% effective, whereas Pfizer was only saying theirs was 90% effective. But then later after the episode, they said it was 95% effective, so I had to go back through and edit. These effective numbers don't really mean anything at this point because they're based on some tiny sampling of people. These estimated effectiveness numbers are arrived at by sampling a subsection of their study. Just for the sake of an example, let's assume that their entire clinical trial was 1,000 people. Uh, 500 got placebo, 500 got the real thing. And after some period of time, we know that 100 people got COVID. So we're just looking at how many people that got COVID got the placebo versus how many people got the real vaccine. And then from there, they're drawing the effectiveness. But there's all sorts of issues with what that actually means. For some reason, it could be that there was a geographic bias towards having the placebo. Like it's a national sample. So like, let's say everybody in one state got the placebo. No idea this is supposed to be random, but there it's an example of what sort of sample bias there could be. Uh, so let's say 10 people in the state of we're going to use Wisconsin because they've had a tough time recently, got the placebo. And let's say all 10 of them got COVID. Well, some of that could be traced to the fact that they live in Wisconsin and Wisconsin has had more COVID cases. Does it really mean that the vaccine worked better or is it some artifact of the people that got the placebo were in areas with more COVID? So there's all sorts of unintended kind of data gathering things that can impact what the effectiveness is based on the preliminary data that Moderna and Pfizer are reporting. Uh, one of the benefits that Moderna is pretty eager to report is that theirs doesn't require the refrigeration to negative 70 Celsius. It only requires refrigeration to negative 20 Celsius. Uh, and it's a little bit more stable at warmer temperatures. So Moderna's vaccine is much more readily accessible. You don't need the refrigeration concept. But that's okay because all these counties in Michigan already bought the <laughs> and don't worry, CVS is already prepared to give you the vaccine, which means they may already know that that Pfizer isn't it, because I don't see how every CVS can get a minus 70 freezer. There's just no way. But I did get the email saying, hey, we're there for you, buddy. Thank you, CVS. Thank you. Right. So, so <laughs> you know, that that's one of the issues. And, and it's also about volume. Like, how do you spin one of these up? Like, do they have capital sitting around that was unused? Because normally you don't want unused capital sitting around or unused, you know, production, uh, are they going to have to hijack some production somewhere else? I mean, they're going to give up, like, the flu vaccine? I mean, are we giving up other vaccines in order to produce this drug? Or did they somehow come up with a magical way of, of buying, you know, $30 million in steel overnight and got their system set up? Both companies have talked about the amount of money 
uh, that the U.S. Department of Defense or the U.S. Department of whatever has provided them to purchase supplies of their given vaccine. Uh, so it appears as though most of this money is kind of being conjured by the U.S. government. Ah. Uh, and then they talk about how many doses they can produce. Uh, and Pfizer can produce 50 million vaccines uh, by the end of 2020 and then 1.3 billion doses in 2021. And if you just do some basic sort of math, that um, that's really not enough for the worldwide population. And it, you know, depending on some issues with uh, waste and distribution, if it only lasts for six months, because that appears to be the duration of antibodies, you're looking at half that as a viable dose for uh, like a year's worth of inoculation. So you're not, you're down to what 650 million. Which is, I mean, greater than the U.S. population, but I assume Pfizer has hopes and ambitions of selling this to Canada and Mexico and whatever other country will buy it. Yeah, they're probably North American, I'd, I'd guess. And it, it's simply just not enough. Yeah, they're going to be fighting against, and they're not, not going to get any headway in Europe. They're not going to get any headway in, in the Asian markets, right? They're, this is this is still hyper-regional, and they're just trying to get as much money from the local governments as possible because there's no other way to make money on this global on this global vaccine. Unless, of course, they, they decide that they're the greatest, you know, vaccine and the whole world decides that they're the greatest vaccine, which I doubt. But, you know, we'll find out. And there are some other competing vaccines that are in production. You have the Oxford and AstraZeneca vaccine, which is being done out of the UK. China's working on a vaccine. Russia's working on a vaccine. I think the EU is working on a vaccine. And so you're seeing, you know, it's a countrywide effort at a nationalistic level, at the end of the day, one of these vaccines is going to be objectively better than the other. Or there's going to be factors within each vaccine that make it preferable to another. So in the simple example that we've been talking about with Pfizer and Moderna, based on what we know right now, why would you use the Pfizer vaccine? You have to store it at negative 70. Let's just stop stop anything with the Pfizer vaccine. Except Pfizer is, is in the press release, to, to counter... Again, this is just double speak in 1984 nonsense. To, to, to counter the idea of a low dose or low temperature um, problem, they are saying they can hit the volumes, right? They're attempting to counter the negativity with the negative 70 by saying they have a higher volume output than maybe Moderna does. And this is one of those things where you don't even know. We don't know if they can hit those volumes. We have no idea what, what chemical reagents in the process are going to become the bottleneck. Right, some other comp- country may be selling whatever the reagents are, and then there's a worldwide shortage for some reason because everybody's relying on the same chemical to make the vaccine. So Pfizer is making the argument of good and fast, but not cheap because you need that freezer. Moderna might be making the argument of good and cheap because you don't need the freezer, but they can perhaps make fewer doses. Yep, and then same with the AstraZeneca and the other world. They're, you know, they're not going to go fast. They're going to go possibly cheaper route, and they'll probably be more effective because they have more time to actually study it. We're, you know, again, this is a new type of vaccine that we're playing with, and and there's a lot of things that could happen. And what happens if you go fast in most engineering cases? You result in poor quality. You miss things. Uh, there are issues. Yeah, so we don't even know whether or not you know the vaccine is going to cause secondary effects, right? We have we have no idea what type of amino response you're really going to have to this. We don't know if we're going to need boosters. We don't know if there's any long term effects on your own um, immune system. 
any type of immunosuppression. We don't know if there's any type of anything along with the lines of vaccines. So if we have a vaccine and all we're looking at is whether it kills COVID, a vaccine could potentially just completely compromise your immune system. And COVID doesn't, you know, latch on because part of COVID is an autoimmune response. Uh, but that doesn't mean the, but that doesn't mean the vaccine is effective because guess what? Your immune system is totally compromised now. And now you are susceptible to dying by pretty much any other disease in existence because the vaccine killed your immune system. Yep. Now that's kind of a hyper extreme example, but it has to do with the unintended consequences of something where just because it meets this one requirement doesn't mean it meets kind of a bigger system wide requirement. You know, they made the same argument against Russia forcing the vaccine on their people or whatever their insanity was going fast, you know, to, to push it out there. But at the same time, ethically, if you have something that you think is going to work, uh, you've got to try it out, you know, for people that need it, I guess. But I, I don't know, you know, ethically what that means for trying to take a vaccine that you think is going to work and pump out a billion of them and then say, oh, look, sorry about this. It caused a mutation. Your hair fell out. Now, these are extreme examples. We don't think it's going to happen. The Most vaccines are developed using similar vaccine techniques that they use in other ways, right? But again, these are very you know fast-moving vaccines that we don't have any medical knowledge of. The long-term health effects of vaccines are something that is medically understood, and it's the, the reason why you have these long-dated clinical trials. In any clinical trial, you have a placebo and you have a kind of the test subject. And your basic premise is that you expect the test subject to do better than placebo, which is typically just a, a nominal kind of fake injection that creates the effect or the perception amongst the person receiving the dosage that they did in fact get a real injection or a real pill. Because the placebo effect is a medically understood term that creates about a 15 to 20% more positive outcome than having nothing done. Mm-hmm. So you do the placebo and you do the actual test and you do that because going into it, you don't actually know whether the the real test is going to have a better or worse outcome than the placebo. So you, you both need something to test against and you can't ethically justify giving everybody something that you haven't actually tested. So as these studies progress along and the efficacy gets observably better, you're going to start seeing companies that stop clinical trials with placebos because they can't ethically justify giving people placebos anymore. And that's kind of a point at which we'll know whether the vaccines are actually working. Yeah, when that happens, then we know that it's actually the holy grail. And until that happens, you know, it's just a trial. It, it, and you're just trying to find something that's better than not having something for the most part, right? And, and there's a point in which... There's too many deaths or too many illnesses, too many side effects, right? You got to stop the trial anyways because it's unethical to test them on people. So, you know, until we have a long-term study, it's going to be it's going to be very hard to know how the vaccine manages it until we get everybody, I guess, stabbed in the arm and we track people. You have the entire medical landscape is siloed into these clinics, and like nobody's looking at anything at the system level, and that includes the vaccine stuff. As systems level thinkers, everything in our life is a system, and how you know you have to attack that system, or at least understand that system in order for you to truly understand what's going on. And and we keep saying the word system over and over again because at the end of the day, every single thing holistically fits together. And one of the major issues right now we're seeing with any of the COVID research, any of the COVID development is that everybody is siloed because of capitalism, fighting for 
whatever benefits they can get out of it. And that means that nobody's actually looking at how the whole system plays together. They're looking at small piece parts. And that is the exact issue that happened beginning when we didn't know if we should wear masks or we don't know whether or not, you know, the virus is going to cause issues with it on your skin, etc. Right? It's going back to this idea now that the human body is a system. Things like the autoimmune response, the inflammatory response, the lung issues, the heart issues, the brain issues, the tissue damage, all the things that happen from COVID when you have a very intense uh, infection, that is system level. And it took until, I think, June, maybe, before that even became mindful on any of the ideas of the doctors, any point in time. And it's because of this that we're running into the same issues with developing the vaccine where everything is siloed. We have all these clinics that are siloed into a collection of specialists, and each one of those specialists only knows about their niche area. So you go in and you say, oh, my elbow hurts, and somebody that's a a joint doctor looks at it and goes, I don't know what the problem is, but it's in your joint. Oh, wait, no, it's not your joint, so you're going to have to go see somebody else. And somebody else looks at it and goes, oh, well, it looks like your, your veins are maybe a problem. Oh, no, your veins are fine. Oh, you have to go see somebody else. And you just get passed along and along and along. And nobody looks at it holistically at a higher level to say, oh, well, the problem is because of this thing. And that manifests in your joint and in your your veins and in your blood or whatever. You don't have a systems level human body architect that's actually managing your care. Because everything is for profit under capitalism. You have all these people that are just sucking money out of you, but treating one small like subsection or sub problem that you're having instead of treating the the overall issues with your body again back it, it could be inflammatory right that could manifest within one of your joints well that is that arthritis or is that something else so you need to have something at that systems level and we don't have that within the medical field we don't have that in the medical field at an individual patient level and we don't have that in the medical field at the macro healthcare system level so you have issues as an individual patient going in to get care, and you have issues with the entire system being incapable of creating a vaccine that can be distributed efficiently to everybody because each niche area is only concerned about their bubble and not concerned about the system at large. Absolutely right. All these problems with, with COVID, we know that there is a technical solution that is clear and well-known. Right. We need herd immunity. We need a vaccine. We know what it is. We know we have to attack it. We know we need treatment. We know what all the problems are and what needs to be done. You know, But the political solution is often not the technical solution, which means that we can't solve the problem because the politicians are there to protect capital. They're there by design to make sure that everybody along the way makes what they need money-wise and not what the actual need of the people is. For future episodes and to learn more about the worker movement, join us at workermovement.com.